Welcome to the Can't Not See It podcast, where we examine the world through biblical lenses and curious frames. Deceptions all around, but when your eyes are open, you can't not see it. You can't not see it. Can't not see a podcast where we examine the world through biblical lenses and curious frames. Ephesians 5.11 says, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. That's what we aim to do, me and my son Isaiah. Hey, you know, we know, we know that you know that I know that we know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Anyway, that uh, darkness is all around. But when your eyes are open, you can't not see it. (laughs) That was a... Probably not spotless, but do we, uh, do you want to do that one again or do you want to roll with that? I said we roll with it. <laughs> okay. That's, uh, that's good stuff. All right. Hey, welcome everyone to episode, what is this, Isaiah Cinco? Yeah, Cinco. Episode Cinco. Um, it's not May. It's, uh, it's uh, Cinco de January. It's going to be a good one. We're going to talk about something fun. So we left off on our last episode, I think, uh, gosh, that was a bundle of stuff. Tower of Babel and the flood and Noah and what else, Isaiah? Total uh, world divine corruption. Divine counsel. Yeah, total world corruption, divine counsel stuff, um, the division of nations at the Tower of Babel, all that kind of stuff. Um, Isaiah mentioned something pretty cool. He actually mentioned, you know, some of uh, the, the life of Abraham when he was young. So we're going to dig into the life of Abraham when he was young, because in Genesis 12, we see that God calls him out of the land of Ur. And we don't have much history before that. So we kind of want to dig into that. Um, but first, we want to read from the scriptures. We want to read uh, a little passage in Galatians, Galatians 3, 6 through 9. So let me introduce my co-host, the producer, my firstborn son, Isaiah Guerrero. Hey, buddy. Hey. Welcome to the show. How What's you up, doing? Everyone? I'm doing good. Doing great. How are y'all doing? Uh, How are you doing, Dad? Well, I'm doing pretty good. Um, <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. I, ha- I had COVID, and that was awesome. Whipped it, kind of. And uh, on the mend. So, doing pretty good. The Cerveza and bug. The Cerveza bug. Yeah, I guess we can't say the we can't say the the full. I'm not very good at like um, editing my tongue on the fly. <laughs> I pretty much say what I think. So if I slip up and uh, the thought police out there hear me, this video is only for educational purposes, so you don't have to flag us. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> only for educational purposes. Um. So, anyways, Galatians three six through nine says this: says just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. 
Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying, in you all nations will be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. That's such a cool passage. What do you think about that, Isaiah? Um, yeah, you know, I mean, right from the beginning, as it alludes back to Genesis, righteousness always came by faith. It was never, it was never by our own works because <laughs> we're all sinners. So, yeah. And so uh, what's interesting about this is that I've always had some questions about Abraham, kind of like I always had questions about Noah um, and the flood. We're like, why did God flood the world? This seems kind of weird, right? Like, oh, because people were bad. Well, like... You got the Tower of Babel just a couple chapters later. Doesn't seem like it really helped. There was a little bit more to the story. And just like uh, Noah, there's more to the story in Abraham, too. We will dig in a little bit and kind of see as uh, we look at the, at the past of Abraham um, that there were some pretty cool exploits, right? He did some pretty incredible things. And I think it's kind of like King David, right? Um, Isaiah and I talked about this before we started the show, but King David... There was a point where he was uh, kind of called up to, you know, he 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 uh, answered the call of a uh, challenge of of the Philistine giant Goliath, but it wasn't like he wasn't prepared to go do that, right? He he didn't just like kind of walk out there as a shepherd boy with no previous experience. He went out there having already killed what a lion and a bear, Isaiah, is that right? Something like that, yeah. Defending his sheep. Yeah. So he so he he had faith. He had skill. He wasn't just some like walking in blind like god had prepared him along the way um and then when this giant showed up he was like nothing i got this besides i got the i got the god of uh the creator god in in my corner so this will be easy so um, one, one thing i want to touch on real quick about david touch it. i just touch this kind of came to my mind is how you said like he was built up as a shepherd a pretty mighty shepherd killing all sorts of protecting his sheep well it's mm -hmm. just know, it's just amazing how when he wrote Psalm 23, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not. Oh, uh, yeah. Right. Like he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the still waters. He restores my soul. So it's just I think that's super cool image that like even though he was this he was this awesome shepherd who would protect his sheep from everything. He submits himself to the Lord's shepherd shepherdship. <laughs> and shepherdship. Dude, that if I ever have a boat and it's a big enough boat that you don't call it a boat, but you call it a ship, I'm naming it Shepherd Shepherd Ship. <laughs> For sure. Okay. So it, anyway, so we're gonna we're gonna kind of dive in and check out what the uh the faith building moments, I guess, of Abraham were because all we see is we get to Genesis 12, right? Um in 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 the text. And that's like kind of our first mention of Abraham is is we see it in in Genesis, the end of Genesis a little eleven a little bit in Terah's lineage, right? The sons of Terah. Um, so we'll go we'll go to Genesis eleven, I guess verse twenty seven, and then we'll read through Genesis twelve one through four. Sound good, Isaiah? You want me to read Hello. or you want to? You can read. All right then. So Genesis eleven verse twenty seven. Here we go. This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran begot Lot, and Haran died before his father Terah in his native land, in Ur of the Chaldeans. Pause there. I want you to hold on to that thought. Haran died 
died before his father Terah in the native land, in his native land. Just hold on to that. There's no real details in the Bible about how Haran died, but Haran died. We're gonna we're gonna talk about that. Um, then Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren; she had no children. And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot. Uh, yeah, the son of Haran and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Okay, then, here we go, chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you or curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Okay. So... It's pretty interesting. God calls Abram. I mean, he, he basically takes off from Haran when he's 75 years old. So what like what happened in those 75 years um, or those years leading up to that, that 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 made him the man that he was, that God would call him, right? And I believe that um, in Genesis 11, verse 31, where it says, And Terah took his son Abram and grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. I think Abram was 52 or so at that time. So so for 52 years, um, Abram grew mightily. And then when he was 75, God called him. And then it, it's attributed to Abram as righteousness because God said, hey, Abram, leave your father's house. I'm going to take you to this other land. So I want to know what happened in that 50 years, those those years before that that call, because I think we can go and we can find some cool stuff out. But most of it we're going to find uh, is in a non-biblical text, which immediately some people, you know, their ears perk up, right, Isaiah? Mm-hmm. And they go, whoa, 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 it's not in the Bible. Um, but before we get all excited about that, let's talk about it. It's in the book of Jasher. Um, the book of Jasher is a non-biblical text, but it was one of the several books that were um, found with the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? With Isaiah scroll, the Daniel scroll. Um, it was also with the book of Enoch, book of uh, Jasher, Jubilees, um, were all found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. So the Essenes, right? The people who I think, or most people think, stocked that cave or those caves in Qumran, um, they held a high regard for the book of Jasher. Um, and, and just touching on the Essenes mm-hmm. too, you know the Essenes were descendants of the Levites? Out of no, whom, I did not know that. Out of, out of whom the parents of John the Baptist came. Oh, Yeah. Nice. So, so when John was out in the wilderness, right, clothed in sackcloth and eating locusts and wild honey, he was most likely in his native land, which would have been the Qumran area, Qumran Valley, um, nice which is why that's which is, cool which is why the essenes the essenes are actually 
they they are also descendants of the Maccabees, which were who are Levites. So the Essenes, oh, when, they were, yeah. when, when they were kicked out into the wilderness, that was where they were were at. Was the Essenes, <clears throat> and so after the um, the rededication of the temple, the Essenes kind of basically reestablished their priesthood of the Levites, which is why John the Baptist was baptizing everybody was because baptism at that time was a cleansing ritual for priesthood. Did we did we do an episode on the Maccabees already? No. Okay. That we should. We will. We shall. <laughs> that one's coming. Okay. Excellent. Awesome, man. That was excellent. Um, so Book of Jasher. Uh, let's just talk about that real quick because we're gonna we're gonna read a bunch from the Book of Jasher. Um, we're gonna get a lot of cool details about Abraham and who he was and how he became the 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 father of faith um, that we know him to be. Um, so the Book of Jasher, like the literal translation of the word Jasher, is upright account. Um, it could be translation. It could be translated as the book of the upright account or the book of the correct record. <laughs> How interesting, right? That it's uh, that it's like so highly regarded with that title. Like, hey, this is like that. This is the legit story. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's pretty cool. Um, doesn't, but doesn't it, Jesus doesn't Jesus reference the book of Jasher, or am I losing my mind? Uh, I don't think it was Jesus, but some other book in the Bible actually quotes from the book of Jasher. So two, uh, we're going to talk about it. There's there's two Old Testament references to Jasher. And then there was actually um, an allusion to Jasher with Janice and Jambres that uh, like defied Moses is actually that story is out of the book of Jasher also. Oh, um, OK, but. But Joshua 10, 3, let's read. Hey, Isaiah, you go to 2 Samuel 1, 18. I'll go to Joshua 10, 3. How about that? Okay. So I'm at Joshua 10, 3. 2 Samuel 1, um, 18. Uh, 10, 2 Samuel 1, 18. Yep. And I'm at Joshua 10, 13, not 10, 3, 10, 13. And this is what it says. Um, I'm going to start with verse 12. It says, Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of Aijalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is it not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of the heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a, a whole day. Okay, so that's just that that's a that's a full on by title reference to the credence and reliability of the book of Jasher in Joshua, which uh, is part of the divinely inspired canon of our scripture. So there's validity to Jasher there. What does it say in Second Samuel, buddy? Yeah, so Second Samuel, starting in verse 17. It says, then David lamented with his lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan, his son. And he told them to teach the children of Judah the song of the bow. Indeed, it is written in the book of Jasher. The beauty of Israel is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. And then it okay, cool. goes on to read a whole lot more of this song, but it's point is that it's from the book of Jasher quoted in the Bible. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we have we have two confirming witnesses in the Old Testament that Jasher was a book that they read. Um and so it's not like a book we should fear, 
right? Like there's a lot of people out there that are just afraid to read. If it's not in, if it's not in the King James Version, then I'm not reading it. It's like, well, listen, man, there's a lot of richness um, and insight that we can gain, right? It's just like reading Josephus or anything else, right? Like the histories of the church fathers, uh, Irenaeus or whatever. If we read those kind of um, works, then we shouldn't have any fear about reading Jasher either. I'm not going to say that it's divinely inspired. Don't look for any Bible codes in the book of Jasher. <laughs> and I don't, I don't really buy too much into the Bible code stuff. It's interesting, but, um, but we can definitely take it for its historical context. And there's things to learn because where the Bible is silent, like there are other texts that give us details. And so long as they don't conflict with what the word of God says, it just makes it just, it just kind of like, um, I guess adds, adds texture to the painting or the picture of what the the scriptures are trying to 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 show us so all right we're going to read a little bit about uh abram and just bear with me there's kind of a lot of reading and i'm not the greatest orator of all time but i'll do my best we're not going to read every we're not going to read every single well thank you thank you very much but we're not going to read every single verse um so we'll skip around a little bit um to the verses that make sense but um, if you ever get a copy of Jasher, this is going to be in Jasher chapter eight. Um, I think as as I'm reading it, you're going to hear some some interesting parallels to other stories in the Bible that you know. And then Isaiah and I will chat about it when I'm done going through this little group of verses. You ready, dude? I'm born ready for this. All right, here we go. Jasher chapter eight. Um, we'll start with verse three. And all the wise men of Nimrod and his conjurers were astonished at the sight of the sign in, in the stars over the child born. And the sages understood this matter, and they knew its importance. And they said to each other, This only betokens the child that has been born to Terah this night. And Terah, by the way, was Nimrod's head idol maker coming through the blessed line of Noah and Shem. Um, who will grow up and be fruitful and multiply and possess all the earth, he and his children forever, and he and his seed will slay great things. Oh, they will slay great kings, sorry, and inherit their lands. The child shall destroy our works. What? His seed. That's an interesting quote, right, buddy? Oh, that's really interesting. Um, verse 5. And the wise men and the conjurers went home that night. And in the morning, all these wise men and conjurers rose up early and assembled to tell Nimrod. Verse 12. And now our Lord and King Nimrod, behold, we have truly acquainted thee with what we have seen concerning the terrors to come through this child. If it seemeth good to the king to give his father value for this child, we will slay him before he shall grow up and increase in the land, and his evil increase against us, that we and our children perish through, through his evil. And the king heard their words, and they seemed good in his sight, and he sent and called for Terah, and Terah came before the king. And the king said to Terah, I have been told that a son was yesternight born to thee, and after this manner was observed in the heavens at his birth. And now, therefore, give me this child, that we may slay him before his evil springs up against us, and I will give thee for his value. Thy house will not, or thy house will now be full of silver and gold for his death. Whoa, that's pretty crazy, right, dude? Mm-hmm. What did you see? What kind of parallels did you see there? Um well, one one little thing. I mean, this isn't the main parallel, but one thing I want to touch on is that 
right when they got that prophecy about the son of Terra and his seed, um, they say, let us go kill him. Basically, they're going to go mm -hmm. try and kill him. And that's we see that parallel happen all over the place in the Bible is that as soon as something big's about to happen, <laughs> the enemy wants to destroy it. Right. There's yes, a, there, there was a there, like we talked about in previous episodes, there was the promise of this, the seed of the woman crushing the head of the seed of the serpent. And so what does Satan do? He tries to corrupt the seed of the woman by having all the fallen angels, the watchers come down and mate with all the women. Um, mm -hmm. We'll get to this later, but um, in Exodus, before Moses is born, um, the Egyptian Pharaoh orders all Hebrews to be thrown into the Nile, or all the, the Hebrew baby boys to be thrown into the Nile River and killed. Um, Jesus, when he was born, the prophecy of, uh, his, of his birth, Herod learns that this, there's this fulfillment of prophecy where this leader is going to rise up and be king over Israel. Well, Herod doesn't like that, and so he orders all all um, baby boys under two years old to be killed. So we see all this happen is that there's always this revolt against the promised one from God. Even David, when Saul tried to throw a spear at him before he would become king. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Good stuff. That's perfect. Um, also, I think um, the sign, there was a, a celestial sign that was interesting, kind of like the star yeah. of Bethlehem with Jesus. It's pretty interesting. Um, yeah. Awesome. Okay, let's continue on. So verse 31, it says, Terah asked for three days to deliver the child. And the king hearkened to Terah and did so, and he gave him three days' time. And Terah went out from the king's presence, and he came home to his family and spoke to them all the words of the king, and the people were greatly afraid. And it was in the third day that the king sent for Terah, saying, Send me thy son for a, pr a price, as I spoke to thee. And shouldest thou not do this, I will send and slay all thou hast in thy house, so that thou shalt not even have a dog remaining. I'm going to wipe out your whole household. And the Lord was with Terah in this matter that Nimrod might not cause Abram's death. And the king took the child from Terah. Wait a minute, what? Oh, I skipped, I skipped a verse, sorry. Uh, verse 33. Oh yeah, okay, verse 33. And Terah hastened. As the king was urgent from the king, uh, as this thing was urgent from the king, and he took a child from one of his ser servants, which his handmaid had borne to him that day, and Terah brought the child to the king and received value for him. And the Lord was with Terah in this matter, that Nimrod might not cause Abram's death. And the king took the child from Terah, and with all his might, Nimrod dashed his head to the ground, for he thought he ha it had been Abram. That's wow. wicked, right? That's crazy. But did you hear what it said? Like God was with him with this, that poor kid. But man, it's just kind of like a substitute child so that Abraham, Abraham could live, right? So that Abraham later could, could be the father of nations as we know him. Um, verse 35, and Terah took Abram, his son, secretly together with his mother and nurse, and he concealed them in a cave and he brought them provisions monthly. And the Lord was with Abram in the cave, and he grew up, and Abram was in the cave 10 years. Okay. And then um, we're going to skip to Jasher verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 5, and it says, And when Abram came out from the cave, he went to Noah and his son Shem, and he remained with them to learn the instruction of the Lord and his ways. 
and no man knew where Abram was. And Abram served Noah and Shem, his son, for a long time. Isn't that cool? It's cool. It's cool to remember, right? That Noah lived 350 years after the flood. So there was there was overlap because I think sometimes you think Noah, like that's flood, that's long time ago, and then you're like, oh Abraham, yeah, okay, that's pretty far back, but. No, that was like not long after the flood receded um, was Terah, Nimrod, the Tower of Babel, and Abraham. And Noah was still alive through all that time. Noah was still alive through yeah. through much through much of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, so crazy. So another little thing, well, I guess a parallel to Moses and uh, Jesus was that um, Abraham was hidden, hidden away, right? Like... Jesus, they fled to Egypt and was hidden away. And Moses, um, he was hidden away in such a way that the, the Pharaoh, he was hidden right under the Pharaoh's nose, right? <laughs> right? He was put in a little, I mean, what do you call that little, little basket boat thing, right? And um, Pharaoh's daughter saw him. And, um, so he was hidden in plain sight, which is crazy, but but still hidden away, protected. Um, and then, and then, you know, they were brought up, taught by, taught about the creator. That's pretty cool. I love that. What's interesting during all this time is that they didn't know, they didn't know God as, as yod heh or Yahweh as the Israelites do. They just knew that him as El Shaddai or the most high God, like, like Abraham knew that there was a most high creator God, but he didn't know who he was during this entire time. It's crazy. Yet he still had faith in his provision right pretty crazy yep. that's super crazy and then if you read Joshua 9 um it, it talks a little bit about the tower the tower mm -hmm. of babel because this is this is that time frame and so we i know we did talk extensively about the tower last episode which was which was killer i think there was so much there um but there was a little bit of a little piece there that i just kind of wanted to read that i thought was that i thought was pretty interesting fine. i gotta pull up on my phone real quick um and that was jasher verse uh, chapter 9 verse 32 through 39 this is pretty cool because in our last episode we talked about the divine council right isaiah mm -hmm. and we talked about when um god came down and uh scattered the languages mm -hmm. um and so i think we did touch a little bit of jasher uh, last episode um, briefly but I just want to read this real quick so that people can hear it and and just kind of think about it it's it's pretty fascinating so when we mentioned Deut Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 8 where the the people that were scattered were divided mm -hmm. um, and there was borders set on them and then there was governors right angelic governors placed over them it's like well where's the reference for those angelic governors check out Jasher it says um in verse, we'll start with verse 31. And they built the tower in the city and they did this thing daily until many days and years were elapsed. And God said to the 70 angels who stood foremost before him, to those who were near to him saying, come, let us descend and confuse their tongues that one man shall not understand the language of his neighbor. And they did so unto them. And from that day following, they forgot each man his neighbor's tongue, and they could not understand to speak in one tongue. And when the builder took 
from the hands of his neighbor lime or stone, which he did not order, the builder would cast it away and throw it upon his neighbor that he would die. Well, these guys are pretty rough. Um, and they did so many days, and they killed many of them in this manner. And the Lord smote the three divisions that were there, and he punished them according to their works and designs. Who Those who said, we will ascend to heaven and serve our gods, became like apes and elephants. And those who said, we will smite the heaven with arrows, the Lord killed them. One man threw the hand of his neighbor, and a third division of those who said, we will ascend to heaven and fight against the Lord, scattered them throughout the earth. Um, and those who were left amongst them, when they knew and understood the evil which was coming upon them, they forsook the building, and they also became scattered upon the face of the whole earth. And they ceased building the city and the tower. Therefore, he called that place Babel, for, the, for there the Lord confounded the language of the whole earth before it was at the east of the land, or behold, it was at the land, east of the land of Shinar. And as the tower which the sons of men built, the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up one third part thereof, and a fire also descended from heaven and burned another third, and the other third is left to this day, and it is that part which is aloft, and its circumference is three days' walk. And many of the sons of men died in, a in the tower, a people without number. Pretty crazy, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty awesome that he actually references the 70 angels that he took down there. It's pretty wild that they were before him, but once they were assigned governorship or rulership over these different nations or tribes of people, you know, pride was found in them too. And they just, they started to seek out their own worship and their own. Well, it's, um, inter it's interesting considering that he took those angels because I think it's in Jubilees that it touches on this as well, right? Where it says that he brought his angels down with them and they went and scattered the languages. Yeah. So, it's so just, there's confirming. Yeah, there's confirming witness. Yeah, it's pretty but interesting. I think it's funny, right? Because it's like common, common, like the, like the typical, like traditional church will teach that all these references where God says, let us do something is talking about the Trinity. Mm -hmm. But it's really right. not. It's really not. Which, just a disclaimer, like, I believe that God is a triune being. I believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm not denying that, but I think that common passages that people talk about it aren't actually, that's not actually what it's saying in the Old Testament. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So uh, a little bit more in Joshua 9. It's pretty crazy. There was much idolatry. So even after the Tower of Babel, Nimrod was still being Nimrod, right? He was still um, like fighting against other cities or building cities and um, just still being that, trying to establish that, that one world kingdom that he wanted to have, right? Worshipping idols, um, causing others to worship idols, and then even at some point calling himself God, right? As we know how we discuss later about how his, you know, his his wife, Semiramis, and his son, Temuz, are like the root of all, like, modern pagan worship, um, even throughout history. Um, and so this is what's pretty crazy. So after 39 years with Noah and Shem, uh, Abram 
he comes back to his father's house, comes back to Tara's house. So he's 49 years old, right? In the 50th year. So he's 49, seven times seven. There's some, there's some sort of coolness about that number, I think. Um, and it, it talks about a crazy little showdown that happens. And uh, let's, let's, uh, let's dig into it a little bit in Jasher 11. Let's see here. In Joshua 11, um, Abram returns to Terah, yeah, 49 years old. Uh, and so um, we'll start in Joshua 11, verse 16, and we'll read a little bit more. Cool, you ready? Okay, Joshua eleven sixteen. 16, here we go. And Abram came to his father's house and saw 12 gods standing there in their temples. And the anger of Abram was kindled when he saw these images in his father's house. Hmm. Verse 19. And Abram asked his father, saying, Father, tell me, where is the God who created the heavens and the earth? In verse 21. And Terah said to his son, Behold, these are they which made all thou seest upon the earth, and which created me and thee and all mankind. And Terah bowed down to his gods, and he then went away from them, and Abram, his son, went away with him. And when Abram went to his mother and said, Behold, my father has shown me those who made heaven and earth and all the sons of men. Now, therefore, make a savory meat that I may bring it to my father, my father's gods as an offering for, for them to eat. Perhaps I may thereby become acceptable to them. And his mother did so. And Abram took the savory meat from his mother and brought it before his father's gods. And he drew nigh to them that they might eat. So he had some meat set up um, in front of these, these idols. Pretty crazy. And verse 26. And Abraham, or Abram, sorry, Abram saw that his father's wood and stone idols had no voice, no hearing, no motion, and not one of them could stretch forth his hand to eat. And Abram mocked his father's gods and said, Surely the savory meat that I prepared has not pleased them, or perhaps it was too little for them. And for that reason, they would not eat. Therefore, tomorrow I will prepare fresh savory meat, better and more plentiful than this, <laughs> in, in order that I may see the result. I love, I love just, just the condescending nature of Abraham there. Like, you guys really think that these are gods? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so and so verse, verse 29, it says... Um, it says that Abram took the savory meat from his mother... So the first time he killed one kid, that's what it says, one kid goat, right? And the second time he kills two kid goats, it makes it even better, even tastier, you know, more salt or whatever, and uh, more seasoning. And Abram took the savory meat from his mother and brought it before his father's 12 gods in the inner chamber. And he came nigh unto them that they may eat. And he placed it before them. And Abram sat before them all day, thinking perhaps they might eat. Mm. In verse 31, and in the evening of that day in that house, Abram was clothed with the spirit of God. That was grandpa. Grandpa was calling me. You're probably going to call me. <laughs> so grandpa, if you're, if you're listening to this, we're doing a podcast. Um, <laughs> open up to, to Jasher chapter 11. Uh, all right. And then verse 32, and he called out and said, oh, wait. Oh, yeah. So he sat around and waiting, waiting. They might eat um, in verse 31. And in the evening of that day in the house, Abram was clothed with the spirit of God. That's awesome. Like the spirit of God, like is like on Abram right now. It's super intense. And he called out and said, woe unto my father and to this wicked generation who 
whose hearts are all inclined to vanity, who serve these idols of wood and stone. And when Abram saw all these things, his anger was kindled against his father. And he hastened and took a hatchet in his hand and came unto the chamber of the gods. And he broke all the fa- all his father's gods, except for the largest one. This is awesome. And when he had done breaking the, when he was done breaking the idols, he placed the hatchet in the hand of the great God, which was there before them. <laughs> You see, where, you see where this is going? That's so cool. And Terah, this is verse 50, and Terah, seeing all that Abram had done, hastened to go from his house. And he went to the king, and he came before Nimrod and stood before him, and he bowed down to the king. And the king said, What dost thou want? And he said, I beseech thee, my lord, to hear me. Now, 50 years back, a child was born to me, and I thus And thus has he done to my gods, judge him according to the law, that uh, we may be delivered from his evil. And so um, I think there was some, oh yeah, I skipped a few verses. So between that, so with the hatchet situation, his dad, Tara, comes back. I don't have it pulled up right now, but Tara comes back and he says, what happened to all these gods? And Abram was like, well, I brought him in this savory meat and all the lesser gods started reaching for it first. And so the big God grabbed that hatchet and chopped them all up. <laughs> <laughs> and Tara, Tara got all mad. He's like, what are you talking about? These are wood and stone. They can't do that. And so Abraham was like, well, then why do you worship them? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's pretty, it's just a perfect illustration of like how ridiculous it was to worship these idols. And, and, and you know that you know the passage in the Bible that says God will not be mocked. Yeah. Well, God is he's really quick to mock all the lesser idols, too. I think it's hilarious. It's like I won't be mocked, but you guys will. <laughs> like, oh yeah. You see that when the Ark of the Covenant was brought into the Philistine place, and right, and then the, the next morning their statue of Dagon was like flat on its face with its head broken and before the Ark oh, of the yeah. Covenant covenant. Like yeah, all, that's all right. the time we see God doing awesome stuff like this. It's hilarious. Yep. Yeah. Or <laughs> even like Mo- Moses's staff or Aaron's staff, right? Eating up the two snakes, the two staffs, the turn into serpents, and his staff ate them both up. Well, it's funny too. So, like when you realize <laughs> all of the plagues on the Nile River or all the plagues of the Exodus were actually assaults against the different gods that the Egyptians worshiped. Yep. Absolutely. Right? Like, We'll get into that later or in a different episode, but it's crazy. I was I was listening to this guy talk about it and basically saying like even the depictions of what their gods look like, like the god of the Nile was had like the head of a frog, and so God brought mm. frogs out of the Nile to plague the Egyptians. And that's the, so cool. The, and then the flies and the locusts and the hailstorm, all this stuff was just basically God making a mockery out of all these lesser spirits or deities or demons that these egyptians were worshiping it's pretty crazy yeah that's so good yeah awesome okay so we we're back uh tara goes to nimrod says my son did this and and nimrod's like bring me this kid so back in verse 52 it says and the king sent three men of his servants and they went and brought abram before nimrod and the king said to abram what is this work that thou hast done to my gods um and Abram answered and said, not so, my Lord, for I have, I brought savory meat. Oh, yeah, I guess, I, I guess this is here. I brought savory meat before them. And when I came nigh to them with the meat that they might eat, uh, they all at once stretched forth their hands to eat before the great one had put forth his hand to eat. 
Um, I guess I did paraphrase that stuff, but and the large one's anger was violently kindled against them, and he went and took the hatchet that was in the house and came to them and broke them all. And behold, the hatchet is yet in his hand, as thou seest. And then verse 54 says, And the king said to Abram, Do you this is awesome right here? I like this part. Like I read this a couple times. I was just like, this is bold, right? Because we have to remember that Nimrod is like, he's still the king, he's still the king, King Nimrod, like he's the most powerful dude on earth by and large at this time and he says and the king said to abram do you not know the power in the room which you now sit do you think i am so foolish as to believe the story you just said how foolish do you think i am and abram responded i do not know how foolish are you my king woe unto thee forever dost thou not know or hast thou not heard that this evil which thou doest is the same as our fathers before us in days of in the days of old, which caused the eternal God to bring the waters of the flood upon the whole earth and destroy them all. Isn't that cool? Like he's linking what they're doing with uh, like pagan idol worship to pre-flood. Like, dude, you're doing what caused the flood to happen. Idiot, right? <laughs> yeah, you are. Yet you are doing the very same things, my king, and in your ignorance, worshiping gods of wood and stone. So indeed, how foolish are you, O king? Well, I think just standing up to him. I think this is a good, this should be inspiration to everyone that's a believer and follower of Christ to be bold. Be bold, yeah. Like, like, man. When 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 Paul when Paul writes, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and then to the Gen- or then to the Greek, right? He's not ashamed. He went out there walking into enemy territory, left and right, yelling at people, basically, "Hey, I preach Christ and Christ crucified. Here is the gospel. Believe it or and be saved." <laughs> like we, I mean, yet. Yeah. Here yeah, we are. here we are yep. today. Believers like want to just kind of sit back in the left section, and the we don't want to get closer than eight rows back from the front of the church service because we're so afraid to be seen by people, right? Like, I just think about this sometimes. I'm like, man, like let's be bold. Like we not we need to like proclaim it from the streets. Like when Jesus, when Jesus, yeah, says, or there's even like Christians. When, when Jesus says, when Whoa. Jesus says, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my father. But if you deny me before men, I will deny you before mm-hmm. my father. That should be a very serious statement to all Christians. Like, yeah. We should never yep. shy away from an opportunity to confess Christ in front of people, no matter what it will reap on us. Yep. Like we walk in this world, but we're not of this world. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I don't know. Yes, sir. That's so good. Cool. Still cool to see how um, bold so, Abraham was. Well, yeah, just in the face of this mightily powerful dude, he's just like, how dumb are you? <laughs> um, and when Abram <laughs> and when Abram had ceased speaking, he lifted up his eyes to the heavens and he said, the Lord seeth all the wicked and he will judge them. Cool. That's super cool. Okay, so let's keep going. So that's pretty intense, right? So we we have this showdown, this Abram Nimrod showdown developing, right? And Nimrod's mad; he's pissed. He doesn't like what he's seeing at all. 
he's there's this this whippersnapper that's coming in there you know calling him out on his gods telling him he's stupid probably in front of his people right and he's just not about to have it so in Joshua 12 let's see what it says Joshua 12 this is where we continue it says and when the king heard the words of Abram he ordered him to be put into prison and Abram was 10 days in prison and they all answered the king saying the man who revileth the king should be hanged upon a tree. That sounds familiar. But having despised our God, he must therefore be burned to death. For this is the law in this matter. Hmm. Sounds vaguely familiar, right? Book of Daniel. Um, if it uh, So in verse 6, it says, If it pleaseth the king to do this, let him order his servants to kindle a fire both night and day, in thy brick furnace, and then we will cast this man into it. And the king commanded his servants that they should prepare a fire for three days and three nights in the king's service. Gosh, three days, three nights is not an awfully common theme. And the king ordered to them to take Abram from the prison and bring him out to be burned. And all the women and little ones crowded upon the roofs and the towers to see what was to be done with Abram. And they all stood together at a distance, and there was not one man left that did not come on that day to behold the same. And when Abram was come, the conjurers of the king and the sages saw Abram, and they called out to the king, saying, O sovereign Lord, surely this is the man whom we know to have been the child at whose birth the great star swallowed the four stars. That was that celestial sign, right? Um, which we declared to the king now 50 years since. Mm. And behold, now his father has also transgressed thy commands and mocked thee by bringing thee another child, which thou didst kill. So they're remembering 50 years ago. Like, remember that little baby that you threw down and smashed? That wasn't the one, because this is the one that we tried to tell you about. And Terah was greatly terrified in the king's presence. And he said to the king, it was Heron, my eldest son, who, divide, who um, advised me to do this which was a lie, Terah said this lie in order to deliver his own soul. So he threw his oldest son under the bus to get out of it, right? How crazy is that? Terah's kind of a weasel, right? <coughs> Excuse me. So we'll continue. Um, and I remember in the beginning of the podcast, I told you to hold on to where Heron died in front of his father, Terah, right, in the Bible, but it doesn't really tell you why. You're about to find out. So Joshua 12, verse 21, and they brought forth, or they brought both the sons of Terah, Abram and Heron, his brother, the father of Lot, bound and ready to cast them into the fire. And they threw Heron in first, and he was burned to ashes in moments when he was cast in, for his heart was not perfect with the Lord. So that's where he died. He died right in front of Terah. Terah saw it. They grabbed Abram and threw him in, yet he was not burned. Even his clothes were untouched. And Abram walked in the midst of the fire for three days and three nights. And all the servants of the king saw him walking about in the flames. And they cried to the king, Behold, we have seen Abram walking about in the midst of the fire. And even the lower garments which are upon him are not burned. The king heard their words, and his heart was faint, for he was afraid. And then the king saw that his servants could not approach the fire, lest they be burned. The king called to Abram, How is it that thou is not burned in the fire? Then Abram answered out, of, out to the king, It is the God of our fathers. 
my king. It is the God of our fathers, my king. It is the God of the heavens and the earth in whom I trust, who preserves me in the flame and who has all power. He delivered me from the fire into which your hands did cast me. And the king, princes and inhabitants of the land, seeing that Abram was delivered from the fire, fell and bowed down, bowed down to Abram. And Abram said to them, do not bow down to me, but bow down to the God of heaven who made you and serve him. Go in his ways, for it is he who delivered me from the fire, and it is he who created the souls and spirits of all men. Wow. That's so cool, huh? So just like just like Daniel, right, and uh, his three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because they wouldn't bow down, were forced into the fiery furnace. They were preserved just like that. Abraham was preserved. Abraham at the time was preserved. It's interesting that both this happened in Babylon too, because right or or or, or the nation of Babylon. We see like this picture of Babylon is always the kingdom that exalts itself against the kingdom of God. Um, yeah. So Abraham was in the midst before Nimrod, who was king of Babylon. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were in Babylonian exile under King, was it Xerxes at that time? Or uh, that was Nebuchadnezzar, wasn't that it? That was Nebuchadnezzar, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, um, Nebuchadnezzar, yep. Who was the king of Babylon? So this is Babylon again, <laughs> throwing them yeah. into the fire and God preserving them. God's basically like, ah, so cool. <laughs> that is cool. Okay, we'll keep going. So verse 39, Joshua 12, verse 39. Um and this thing seemed very wonderful in the eyes of the king and princes, that Abram was saved from the fire and that Haran was burned. And the king gave Abram many presents, and he gave him his two head servants from the king's house. The name of one was Oni, and the, and the name of the other was Eliezer. Now just hold for that a thought on Eliezer real quick. Um, many believe that later on, I think it's in Genesis chapter 24, when Abram sends one of his servants to find a uh, a wife for his son uh, Isaac, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and it ends up being Rebecca, right? Uh, many believe that that servant's name was Eleazar, and is it the same one? I don't know, but maybe seems pretty cool that that's where he would get that servant Eleazar. Verse forty. And all the king's princes and servants gave Abram many gifts of silver and gold, and many of the king's servants followed him. About 300 of Nimrod's ten uh, top men and forces joined Abram. So in Genesis, you'll see that Abram was very wealthy, and he has a huge entourage with him, especially when he goes to rescue his nephew Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah. I always wondered, like, where did he get all these men, and where did he get all this wealth? Well, you're seeing it in the book of Jasher. This this conflict, this showdown with Nimrod, um, is where he gets it. Um, but we skip forward to verse 59, about 19 verses. So the after eight, let's see, what does it say? It says, and Eleazar, Abram's servant, whom the king had given him, was at that time in the presence of the king. And he had heard that Nimrod's vizier, Anuki, um, had advised the king. Uh, and that king now intended great evil and to cause Abram's death. Uh, so what's interesting about this, that happened about two years, two or three years later. So uh, Eleazar, that servant that Nimrod had given him, had overheard this counselor of Nimrod. 
um, tell Nimrod that he should kill Aram. And Nimrod was like, okay, let's do it. And so he goes back and tells Terah, um, and he tells Abram. And that's where we find in the Bible, where we started, in, right in Genesis chapter 11, that's where the story picks up. In Genesis chapter 11, where it says, And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them from Ur, of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan, and they came to Haran and dwelt there. Mm. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. And so there's so much backstory that we don't get to see in Genesis, but Jasher just totally paints that picture for us. And so I think he was about 52 years old when they fled the land of Ur, and they went to the land of uh, uh, Haran. Mm. And then when Abram, after Terah had died, when Abram was 75, God called Abram and said, all right, it's time to get out of Haran. You're leaving your father's house, and we're, we're going to go into Canaan. So that's cool, right? Like, um, wow. What a, what, a, what, a crazy, what a crazy showdown that he had with Nimrod. Um, and, and, you know, the story in Jasher, if you read Jasher, it goes on to talk about how Jasher dies. I think, did we touch that? Or not Jasher, uh, how Nimrod dies. Did we touch that last episode? Maybe a little bit, right? With Esau? I can't Maybe. remember if we talked about that I or not. Know. I don't think we did. Maybe we'll touch on that in our next episode when we talk about Abram's descendants, uh, Ishmael and Esau. But it's just super cool to, to be able to go back in time a little bit look at some extra resources and find details concerning one of the heroes and fathers of the faith. Um, it's just, it's just so awesome that there's so much information. Um, just, I guess, to still glean, right. The Bible is, is whole and complete, but there's, there's also more, which, which, you know, reading Jasher and re reading Enoch, it just paints a clearer picture for us so that we can kind of fill in some some of those details that the, the biblical authors um, or the council that put the books together in the Bible, um, I guess, didn't agree upon. Maybe one of these days we'll talk about that council of Nicaea. Um, that was Nicaea, right? The Nicaean Council 325, I believe where so. they put the Bible together. Is that right, Isaiah? I think so. Yeah, I think so, yeah. too. Um, Which is really interesting, considering considering that they didn't have the new testament before then right so anytime in the in the new testament writers when you hear the word scriptures talked about they're actually talking about the tanakh which is the old testament so like yeah when yeah. when you hear jesus or when you hear uh, uh luke writing it in the gospel of luke and he says when jesus says all things will all things or fulfilling all things in the scriptures or fulfilling all things here that's talking about the old testament so it's pretty wild yes. when you understand that, or or in, or in, or in, um, when Peter, in his sermon in Acts, gets up and says, "This is Christ who is." Or uh, no, no, no. In a Paul writing in First Corinthians fifteen, when he says, "Christ was crucified, or he he died, was buried, and rose three days later, according to the scriptures," he's saying that right. from the new from the Old Testament. So from he's the like, Old Testament. "Look at you can find you can you can." defend all of this stuff from the old testament there pretty wild it's yeah it's i mean and that's actually a pretty cool exercise to do is to learn how to defend the gospel from the old testament yeah what happens what which, oh go ahead 
No, go ahead. Chuck Messer, what do you say? Like the Chuck Messer says tough. the Acts has the Bible study that's repeated seven times in just the book of Acts alone, and that's the gospel from the Old Testament or something. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I, I haven't heard that before. I, I heard him say that one time. I think it was Missler. <laughs> There's your grandpa again calling me. No, dude. Not now. <laughs> I'll shoot him a text. Hey, dude, we're learning about Abraham. He's not Abraham yet. Abraham comes later. Um, let's let's uh, now I got some biblical uh, text, especially in the New Testament, that just kind of look at Abraham because I think that was the whole point. Is like who is Abraham? Who who is Israel? Right, but who is Abraham first, and then who are is Abraham's descendants? Um, and so, oh, you you want to read? Uh, the, the covenantal stuff with Abraham when, when God first talks to Abraham. Yeah, sure. Take this on a little bit. I think there's so much to this that we could do an entire episode just on this section, but we'll touch on it briefly. Yeah. Um, so um, starting in verse or chapter 11, verse 32. So the door, no, first uh, 31. How, how you talked about. So, and Terah took his son Abraham or Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter in law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Okay. Now, starting in chapter 12, we pick up after that, after that happenstance. Because now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country. From your father's or from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So right here we see a promise of God given to Abraham. There is no there's yeah. no there's no covenant given yet. This is a this is just a promise. God says to Abraham, here's what I'm gonna do for you. This is in uh, verse four. So Abraham, so Abraham <clears throat> departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abraham took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions, and they had gathered, and the people, whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram uh, passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Morah. And the Canaanites were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land, the land of Canaan. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. The Lord appeared to Abram. I don't know what that looked like. Yeah, maybe, totally. Maybe angel of the Lord action going on there. Maybe pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that later. Um, one thing I want to touch on. So that promise right there. This is the last... This was the, uh, the the last promise in this section. Um, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. So that word descendants literally translates as seed, not seeds, plural, but seed. So in my mm. opinion, that's probably a, that's probably a kind of a, a, a miss, a mistranslation on the, could be on the, on the part of the, whoever did the new King James Bible, but that's what that's what Galatians is talking about in Galatians 3 
Well, hold on real oh. quick. Oh, yeah, sorry. Do you think do you think that mistranslation was an accident? <laughs> oh, it got quiet there for a second. <laughs> I'm just I'm just asking because you know um there's a lot of people who have different theological standpoints, you know, uh, I guess stances. Um and this is quite a quite a subject that we'll get into a little bit later. We're not going to dive into it completely right now, but um, some people believe that, you know, the descendants of Abraham all have to do with that nation that's over there occupying Jerusalem with that six-pointed star right now. Um, and, you know, there's some serious controversy in thought um, about who that is. And um, I just, I, I, I didn't realize that that word descendants was actually the word seed. And if it is the word seed, could it have been purposefully mistranslated to lead us into a, 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 I guess, a thought process that we find ourselves, the world finds itself in today, potentially mistaking who Israel or the descendants of Abraham are? That's a pretty interesting little nugget there that we'll touch on later. But I just wanted to plant that in Isaiah's brain as he goes to Galatians to read what he reads next. Yeah, so Galatians 3, Paul expands on this idea, right? God promises Abraham, to your descendants or to your seed, I will give this land. Um, We read earlier from Galatians 3, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. So if we skip over a little bit, it talks about the law from verses 10 through 14. Um, If we skip to verse 15. Um, Paul writes, brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant. Yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God and Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So let's unpack that a little bit here. Right there, Paul is referencing that same passage um, from Genesis. To your seed, I will give this land. And, and Paul is saying, look, he doesn't say seeds as in plural. He says seed as in one. And that's the fulfillment of that seed is Christ Jesus. So what he's saying there is that um, the inheritance of that land of Canaan, the Canaanite land, is going to Jesus Christ. And in order to be an inheritor of that land, you have to live by faith in Christ, is what it's talking about there. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. So how do you become a son of Abraham? According to the word of God, by faith. Because the seed of Abraham that all these promises were given, that this promise was given to is Christ himself. So we have to be in Christ, walking by faith in Christ to be an inheritor of the land. Yeah, absolutely. That's excellent. So if you aren't of faith in Christ, then you are technically not of the seed of Abraham, even if physically and genetically you are his descendant, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, we see this in Romans 9 as well. Um, Romans 9, 
let me see where where's that sorry bear with me there's a lot here um uh essentially romans 9 paul makes this distinction a little bit um yeah Romans 9, starting in verse 6, but it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham, but in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. Oh, man, this is like... If you're a children of the promise, that promise is talking about the promise to the seed of Abraham this inheriting that land. And that promise is giving is given. Um, to those who are. I don't know, I'm kind of losing my train of thought right now for some reason. No, you're right. No, it's, it's given to those who are in faith, man. It's not it's not necessarily given to those who are of the blood. Right. So let me let me piggyback on that a little bit. Can I? Yeah. So I. I just have a few verses that I thought were kind of cool about Abraham. So Matthew 3, 7, this isn't, it's in it's kind of context, but it's not. Um, and I'll explain myself. But Matthew 3, uh, verse 7 through 10 says, this is when John the Baptist was, you know, baptizing people in, uh, um, in Judea uh, at the Jordan, the River Jordan. Um, it says, uh, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And so right there, John the Baptist saying, don't think because you're of the bloodline of Abraham, that means anything in God's eyes. It doesn't. He could raise up children for Abraham out of these rocks, right? And that's a uh, that's pretty intense. And then let's go to Romans four, Isaiah. This is actually kind of lengthy, but um, gosh, there's so much there's so much stuff in the New Testament about Abraham and being a descendant of Abraham. It's 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 just kind of crazy, actually how much there is and how easily it is missed because we just you know the the majority of christians just go to church we listen to our pastors or we have our favorite um you know uh rate you know christian radio and we listen to like a, a like a group of pastors who all agree on the same thing according to the same doctrine and we don't open the bible ourselves and say well but what does it really say and that's what the challenge that's what the challenge of this podcast is right like there is deception and there's even deception that's crept into the church to lead Christians astray and they'll do it wearing crucifixes or holding Bibles and, and spreading the message of love, which is incredible, but it's true because Satan doesn't just masquerade as some sort of beast from the darkness, but he masquerades as an angel of light. And we have to remember that. Um, so in Romans chapter, what's that? One thing before you read this passage, okay. just brought to my mind, um, when Matthew says it, or when Matthew three, when John the Baptist says, "Lord can raise up children of Abraham from these stones," well, remember in Jesus' triumphal entry in Luke nineteen, when he says, um, "Some of the Pharisees called to him, to, called to him from the crowd, teacher, rebuke your disciples, because all the disciples were were singing, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest." When Jesus was riding into Jerusalem on the donkey. 
Jesus says, but he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. It's basically yeah. saying that you, you basically like the stones will replace you if you don't sing praise in, in, of faith and you don't bless Christ. <laughs> that's, oh, right. wow, that's interesting. That's awesome. That's awesome. Huh. Anyways. Okay. Yeah. Romans chapter four. It's a little bit lengthy, but let's just, let's dig because it's the same kind of thing, right? If it's a scratch, you itch it. Um, uh, what then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness, just as David also described the blessedness to the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are are covered. Blessed is man to whom he, the Lord shall not impute him. Verse 9, does this blessedness then come also from the circumcised only, or upon the circumcised only, or upon the uncircumcised also? So uh, clarification for circumcised and uncircumcised. Um, the circumcised or the group of the circumcision would be uh, generally relating to the Jews who have that sign of the covenant of circumcision, right? Um, and then the uncircumcised would gen generally be speaking of all Gentiles who are outside of that um, mosaic, like Old Testament covenant, right, Isaiah? Yeah. Is that, is that correct? Okay. Yep. Um, so for we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness, how then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all those who believe. Um, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but also who walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. Verse 13, for the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect, because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to the hope in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So, hmm. your, so shall your descendants be. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Well, it's interesting. That blows too. my mind. 
talking about how the law brings wrath because right after Galatians 3 18 where it says for if the inheritance is of the law it is no longer promised but the God gave it to everyone by promise it says in verse 19 what purpose then does the law serve it was added because of transgressions until the seed should come to whom the promise was made so the law was added right. because of transgression what does that mean what does that mean so essentially like the, the Levitical law that that's talking about, the whole controversy, and we see this happening all the time today with movements like Torahists or Hebrew roots or um, even the even like Christian Zionism in many ways will say that the law still has effect on us today as followers of Christ. But they but a lot of times we say that in ignorance because so many things in the Bible are translated to the same English word as law when they mean different things um right yeah when in exodus when the law was given the levitical law given from like in the book of leviticus when that when that rigorous 613 commandment law was given to the israelites that was because of transgressions well what transgression is galatians talking about here um i don't want to read all of it because you'd have to really read a lot to cover this and that's we can cover that deeper more deeply in a different episode but essentially the law that was given was because of the adulterous act of worshiping the golden calf that Israel did right after the marriage covenant was signed between God and Israel. Exodus 19 talks about the original purpose of Israel. God says in verse 6, talking to the house of Jacob and the children of Israel, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God says this to all of Israel calls them out of Egypt, rescues them through the Exodus, and then he calls Israel and says, you're going to be a kingdom of priests. Not just one specific tribe of Levi, but the entire nation of Israel is supposed to be a priest, kingdom of priests. Um, God establishes this. He says, here's what I want you to do. And the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So God, you see that we see this, the language written in the Hebrew displays this as a betrothal. God offers his uh, proposal to Israel. Hey, I want to make you my kingdom. Israel says, all that you commanded, we will do. They accept the betrothal. They are engaged. They are betrothed. Moses goes up to the mountain. Um, God comes down on the third day in the on all the smoke on the mountain. That was basically the wedding, essentially, between God and Israel. Moses comes down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments, which is also called the Book of the Covenant, not the Book of the Law, the Book of the Covenant made between God mm. and Israel. The Ten Commandments. We see that in Exodus 20. Um, Exodus 20 and 21 talks about the practicalities for how the, how the 10 commandments are, are, are issued out, right? You have the law of the altar, the law concerning servants. Oh, if, if my ox kills your ox, then how do I love my neighbor <laughs> through that? Um, so you right, see yeah. practic practical laws given for their, uh, for their society on how to act out this marriage covenant between God and Israel. Um, Moses mm -hmm. goes back up and when Moses brings the 10 commandments down, Israel has erected a golden calf and is worshiping this calf. That he is, catches his wife in, a, in adultery. Yeah, God comes right? down. And, yeah, God catches his wife in adultery, right? Essentially, right? Yeah, he says, exactly. you shall not commit adultery. Well, there was a marriage covenant between God and the first commandment was, you shall have no other gods before. You shall love the Lord your God. Um, and then he says, you shall not have any other God before me. Well, <laughs> the Israelites erect a golden calf and mm -hmm. start worshiping this other God right away. And so essentially what happens there is God divides basically saying 
basically God wants to destroy Israel right there. Moses says, no, Lord, like if anything, take my life for their sake. God doesn't let Moses do that because Moses isn't the perfect lamb. That's a, that's a prophetic, that's a prophetic foreshadowing to Jesus coming down and being the one worthy of taking the curse of mm. Israel for, for their adultery against God. So what does God do? He says, basically he separates Israel says, who's going to side with me and who's not <laughs> the Levites, the tribe of Levi, they're the ones that decide to follow God. Um, essentially. And then God opens up the earth and swallows everyone who chose not to side with God. So out of the tribe of Levi, right. God, God ends up establishing his priesthood, which is where he, and he gives them the law. Galatians talks about the law being a tutor in Galatians. I'm going to turn back there real quick. Um, Galatians 3. Yeah. Um, where is it? Um, yeah. Galatians 3, 19. What purpose then does the law serve? So this is the law that, that's talking about after the adultery between, of Israel to God. It was added because of transgressions until the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. If the law then against the promises, is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So what is that saying? They basically broke their, they broke their covenant, their marriage covenant. They committed adultery with the golden calf. A bomb detonated and blew off their legs. Think of it this way. Mm -hmm. A bomb came and blew off their legs. Um, this metaphor, I do not take this for myself. This isn't my, I, I listened to this off of a podcast done by Bride Ministries, hosted by Daniel Duvall. Um, they talked about this and it was blew my mind. So imagine this, a, a bomb comes and blows your legs off. That's their adultery. They broke the command of God. Their covenant is ruined um, or it's blown up temporarily, essentially. Um, the law is given as a tutor to lead them to Christ. Essentially, imagine this. You got your legs blown off, and then the doctors give you a prosthetic. You get a prosthetic leg to basically get you by until the physician can come and heal you. This is what it's saying. Mm -hmm. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. The law was our prosthetic. I'm, in fact, I think that word used in the Greek was prosthesis, which means which is where we get the word prosthetic. Like it was temporarily supposed to get us by until Christ could come, fulfill that, bring healing and reestablish his covenant, his marriage between him and his people, calling out his bride, who are under the faith of Abraham. Oh, my gosh. It's beautiful. That's so cool. It's yeah, so that's cool. so awesome. It's so cool. And so then, and so then we're no longer under that law. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. There's no other way to get by because, it. Because, um, well, just thinking about back to that passage in Romans 4 that we just read, for if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made and the promise made of no effect, because the law brings about wrath, like you're... We're back. We're back. Wait. 
Yeah, we lost it. Lost you for a second. Let me make sure that then it uh, probably stopped the recording and then. That's good. There's so much good stuff right there. Oh my gosh. I know. My mind is getting blown. I'm like feeling like goosebumps. Like, you ever get like the Holy Spirit goosebumps? Uh, the, the spirit the spirit bumps the spirit bumps <laughs> well i was just thinking dude like for if there was for if those who are of the law are heirs so for if those who are of the law are heirs faith is made void and the promise made of no effect so if if you're staying under the law and you're the ones who are the heirs then you just made faith void and the promises don't mean anything but because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is a faith that it might be according to grace. Yeah, dude, it's pretty sweet. Well, and that really just like, to me, like I've heard a lot of Hebrew roots people um, that basically essentially that theology claims that Christians are still under the law and we should eat kosher and we should not do anything on the Sabbath. And we should, all these things, like all the 613 laws still apply to us. We're still under them. Um, and just that it it's anger. It angers me. It angers my spirit because it's basically, it's like it said, it's making void what Christ did for us. Like, right. We can't, we can't read Christ as Christians today in the 21st century, we can't read Christ through the lens of the Old Testament. We have to read the Old Testament through the lens of Christ. We're on the we're on the future side of the cross. We're not before it, right? That was Paul, Paul or Peter, or I mean, what is it? Paul was the apostle of the Gentiles, but he he talks all the time yeah. about how Christ is a fulfillment of that which was foretelling him. Mm -hmm. like, like it just like. Like he's like, like, well, he said. and it's, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say it's, it's that Hebrew root stuff, that stuff that creeps in. Uh, it's tough because it puts people under condemnation or bondage or fear, right? Like, Ooh, maybe I'm not appeasing God or maybe I'm not doing it the right way. Um, and that just automatically makes us think that we have to add to the sacrifice that Christ has made, which we're warned heavily against doing right. Like the sacrifices is, is the atonement is done. Like mm -hmm. we repent and we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and we shall be saved. And then the, I mean, basically in simplicity form, the Holy spirit comes and starts teaching us, right. Comes work and works through us. And, and as we read the word and we, we fellowship with other believers, we, we build and we grow and like to go back under that law is just craziness. That's like a dog that returns to its vomit. You know what I mean? Like it's going back to dead works. And the danger is this, um, you know, there's so much richness in the Old Testament and things to learn from the Old Testament. But the danger is that as we learn some of those things, like like the feasts of Yahweh and understanding what those mean and what those are all about, people then are like, I want more of that, right? I want more of that culture. I want more of that society. I want more of that knowledge. And it leads them to start thinking, well, I need to wear a yarmulke and I need to follow this law and I need to do this thing and I need to look this way and I need to say it that way. Um, I, I have to call Jesus Yeshua and I have I, I, or Yahuwah and I have to call God Yahweh, Elohim. I can't call him God anymore. So that's, you know what I mean? And it just, it just takes away the freedom that God has given us. And 
like if we think <laughs> that the creator of the cosmos, the most high God who literally like abandoned his post of absolute glory and dressed in flesh and dealt with the, the woes and the frustrations of this earth so that he could balance the equation so he could atone for our sins. If we think that he is so petty that if we say his name, not just right, like that's going to, you know, nullify our grace. Or if, if we don't understand things just perfectly, like his grace is so much bigger and more powerful than that. And that's what I think probably breaks his heart sometimes when we're like, oh, you got to do it this way. And it's got to look like that. And it's like, oh, man, like be free because you're because we're free right um well so and so those are the da- those are the dangers of that hebrew roots kind of stuff and i think and i want to touch on real quick i know this is kind of tangent but hey we said we were going to open the, this podcast open for conversation <laughs> yeah um can't full full tangent full tangent matthew so the hebrew roots people their entire theology is built off of one almost one section in scripture. It's built off of more. So if any of of the people that ascribe to this form of theology are friends in the Hebrew roots movement, as um, Professor R.L. Solberg likes to say, <laughs> um, as if they listen to this and they come on me and say, hey, well, you're building up a straw man against us, then I don't want, I want to clarify that. This isn't the only thing, but this is a huge portion of scripture that they build their theology off of. This is Matthew 5, verses 17. It says, do yeah, not... Okay. Hold on a second. I want to be, I want to be there. Yeah. Matthew, Matthew 5. Starting in verse 17. Okay. You ready? Hit me. Yeah, says, hit me. Do not think, this is Jesus talking to um, people. <laughs> people. Yeah. Do not think that I came to destroy the law and the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle will bind or... Until heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So... Mm -hmm. On on a on a just a plain reading on a blanket slate, if just this one section was just taken um, and given to someone, you'd think, oh, well, obviously we're still under the law. Jesus says you didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And he says, oh, you have to your righteousness has to exceed those of the scribes and the Pharisees. And he says, oh, um, do not teach um, whoever te- breaks one of the commandments, and whoever teaches men to do so will be called least. But in the context of this, we have to understand that Jesus there hadn't gone to the cross yet. He had not atoned for sin yet, and he hadn't resurrected from the dead yet. He had not inaugurated the new covenant or any of that yet. So he was still in the process of fulfilling the old covenant. He was still in the process of living under the old covenant, teaching the people that also lived under the old covenant. So let's look at what he says here. He did not come to destroy, but to fulfill or satisfy. Um, Right. Right. What does yep. he say? What is it? What are one of his last words on the cross? He says, it is finished. So he says, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot and one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. So why does he have two? Uh, why does he have two um, statements there 
that are, um, what is it? Uh, conditional statements until heaven and earth pass away. And until all is fulfilled, what does that mean? Is it heaven and earth passing away or is it all being fulfilled? Well, what he's saying there grammatically, sorry, this is getting a little deep, but he's saying that's no, good until heaven and earth pass away. If it's not fulfilled, it's not going to go away. Basically, the law has to be fulfilled. If the law isn't fulfilled, then it's going to stay in effect until heaven and earth pass away, is what he's saying. There. Right. Um, yeah. And so in that, one jot and one tittle, those are grammatical marks in the Hebrew language. Basically saying this law here, nothing is going to pass away from it until it's fulfilled. Well, what did Jesus say in the previous passage? I came to fulfill the law. <laughs> so it right. will be fulfilled. Right. Um Right. I, I almost think like the the kind of the feeling I'm getting is almost like, hey, if I didn't show up, you guys would be under this law forever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if I if I if I didn't come to do what I'm about to do, this this is the condition that you would stay in and you mm -hmm. would never make it. Um, because it says for I, later, you know, in verse 20, it says, for I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And who has that? Right. Not even well, the scribes and the Pharisees have that. Yeah, and, and <laughs> be, be, because it has to exceed them, right? Ha, your righteousness has to exceed the scribes and the Pharisees. And he's talking to the lay right. people of Judea at this time. He's at this point, he's right. preaching the sermon to the lay people who are under the yoke of the Pharisees, and they're probably hearing this, going, "Oh, then all of us, all of us are going to be banished from the kingdom. None of us can enter because none of us exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees." Because in the eyes of the Judaical system, they were the most righteous and perfected among all people. <laughs> like, right. they basically yeah. built their yeah. entire life on looking righteous and being righteous. And so Jesus yeah. is saying, so whoever, whoever breaks one of the least of the commandments and teaches them to do so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Under the old covenant law, in order to be in the kingdom of heaven, you had to follow that command, those commandments. So, but mm. like he, what he's saying there is, is that at that time, the kingdom of heaven <laughs> is this establishment, is the law establishment. So yeah, if you break one of the laws, you're not going to be great in the kingdom of heaven when the kingdom of heaven is defined by the law. <laughs> it's pretty obvious. And then he's saying that unless you're even better right. than the righteous, yeah. the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So yeah. I think there so who's getting in. So who's getting yeah. in? <laughs> right. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. Uh, thank you, man. That was actually uh, like probably the best explanation I've heard of that. Because uh, I've read that a lot of times and 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 been a little bit like, hmm, interesting. what's happening here? Like, this well, is, but like reading it in, 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 I guess, the context that if I don't come and fulfill this, you'll be under it forever. Mm -hmm. Just changes the passage 100%. Like, I don't want to, like, I'm God and I love you and I don't want to leave you in this condition. I'm going to come and fulfill this thing. Oh, man, that's that's awesome to me. Well, I, <laughs> I, I can't that. I can't take credit for that. That's that's R.L. Solberg. He has a YouTube channel defending the biblical roots of Christianity. The dude is brilliant. Um, so I got to pay my respects where they're due. So that wasn't my, I gleaned a lot from him. Because to be quite honest, like oh, probably a year ago, I stumbled across all this Hebrew root stuff, all these people teaching that the we are still under the law. And it actually like ensnared me for a bit. Like I was pretty anxious. Um, and I was pretty distressed in my spirit, wondering if I've been worshiping God wrong my whole life. 
right? Because I, my understanding has always been that, oh, no, Christ came, he fulfilled the law that was given to the Jews in the Old Testament, and he established a, a new covenant that includes Jews and Gentiles all having the spirit in us guiding us on how to follow God. And, you know, what James says, if, or, or one of the, I can't remember if it was James or John, but he writes, if, you're, if, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins. Like that was my understanding, mm-hmm. but then all these people start taking these verses out of context and other verses out of context and makes you sound, makes it very good at making it sound like we are still under that law. And it ensnared me for a while. Like, I was pretty distressed in my spirit. My dad can vouch for that. I'd had many conversations with him about it. Um, but just well, got, and, and if you're, if you're, you know, if you're a Christian that's been around for any length of time and you study the word, you will wrestle, you'll come across this topic and wrestle and wrestle it out. I mean, because Isaiah, just like you, man, I, I had that wrestle too, right? And I have good friends that, you know, are, are I, I would say, you know, pretty immersed into the Hebrew root stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, thinking that, well, we can't mix burger and cheese and, and we got to observe the Sabbath. And, and it like, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with doing those things. It's just the thought that you have to do it to some sort, somehow like satisfy God's law. That's completely wrong. And yeah. so we have to remember that, you know, the son of man came so that we could have freedom. Right. And so who, you know, who the sun sets free is free indeed. And so Jesus's yoke is light and his burden is easy. So that's the stuff that we need to remember. Um, Real quick, I just want to hit a couple of verses and then uh, probably wrap this bad boy up and then we'll talk about what we want to hit next time. Um, I think this has been a great discussion, though, man. I think uh, yeah. it's been fun to, to kind of look at Abram and where his his faith was rooted. Right. Like, where did this great hero of faith, how did he grow up and why why did God call him? Why was he special? Well, there is kind of a reason for it. Um, but I just want to read this verse. I like this one. Uh, we'll go back to Galatians 3. I know, I know Galatians is just l- loaded with all sorts of cool stuff about Abraham and his seed and stuff. But um, Galatians 3, 6 says, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Hmm. And the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Doesn't matter if it doesn't matter if you can track your lineage all the way back to Abraham according to your bloodline, if you are in faith, meaning Um, If you don't believe on the Messiah, on Yeshua, on Jesus Christ, you are not one of the sons of Abraham. That's what Paul's saying in Galatians. That's what I'm saying. Do you agree with that, Isaiah? I agree with that, for sure. Um, Yeah, he just can't. And like, he just, I mean, what, what is the gospel? Like, the gospel is simple. That's why Jesus says, my God, my yoke is easy and my burden is light the gospel first corinthians 15 i'll just read it real quick if that's okay mm-hmm. yeah please paul writes moreover brethren i declare to you the gospel which i preached to you which also you received and in which you stand by which you also are saved 
if you hold fast to that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, Old Testament, scriptures, that word, Tanakh, yeah. Old Testament. But, Christ, died, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, that he was seen by Cephas and by the twelve, and that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Um, the gospel, Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose from the grave, fulfilling the law and opening yeah. up the door for of salvation to all nations. Everyone can be a son of Abraham on Christ. Amazing. That's so cool. All right. That one last one from Galatians. I got to do it, dude. I have to. Um, it's Galatians 3, 26 through 29. It says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I feel like that's a mic drop moment. Thank you, Boom. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. That was so good. That's awesome. Um, dude, awesome. Abram was a mighty man that God used in a mighty way. And I love it. Hmm. Um, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for this podcast, for this uh, just looking back in history and seeing the roots of where our faith um has come from and basically just a glimpse at your story lord how you have weaved your plan of salvation for all nations through history and it's here manifesting even now and lord i just pray that this podcast would reach somebody's ears would bless them would educate them would inspire them and as usual lord god if we have said anything that is contrary to your word or will um, we just pray that it would be absolutely stricken or fall on deaf ears but lord if there's truth if there's goodness in what we've taught and what we've shared and discussed lord then we just pray that it would edify it would build up and it would grow we thank you father you are awesome we thank you for your son jesus and what he does and we love you amen amen awesome <laughs> all right isaiah next episode i say we're kind of on this cool genesis track Abraham and his sons Esau, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Ishmael and Isaac, and um, kind of talk about those those two lineages a little bit, mm -hmm. um, and then right covenantally speaking, we we connect it to the covenants that we've mm -hmm. seen, um, especially since you love talking covenants. <laughs> well, it's just so cool. <laughs> it's it's super interesting. Um, all right, cool. Well, you got any closing words, bro? So, well, yeah, I mean, that's this was a good episode. Like, I felt like this was a really good one. Like, really. So, I ho hopefully, people enjoy it. You know, and I, I think we probably stepped on on toes of a lot of different people, probably. Maybe. So, Maybe we, <laughs> we hope you all got your still toe boots on. But, yeah. If you're, yeah, if you're listening to cannot see it, you should probably. Uh, get your your boots on for sure right 
shod your feet with the gospel of the preparation of the gospel of peace. Well, yeah, I, you know, I just, I think it's so, I think it's cool how, um, like you can go back and look all throughout the entire old testament and see stuff but reality it all points to christ Mm, and so and it's so cool that we get to be on the receiving end of that i think because like imagine like how confusing it would all been for (laughs) everybody living in that old covenant time period yeah well or or even like uh in the 800s you know what I mean, like when there, or the or the eleven hundreds when there wasn't many, much access to the word, mm-hmm. right? And bef- before the Gutenberg press started pumping them out, and it was only like the the Catholic Church who had access to scriptures. And I mean, it's just a great time to be alive as far as uh, learning about God and having access to His His Word. It's pretty cool, like like Daniel twelve says, right? Knowledge will increase. It really is. It's, I think I think his knowledge is increasing for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear and want to know. It's pretty cool. There's just zero excuse for people right now. Um, right. Like no one's no one's gonna be able to go up to heaven and stand before God and be like, "Well, I just didn't know. I didn't have access to information." Like really? <laughs> like there's so much information. It's pretty right. incredible. And just understand that you can trust. You can trust, like, if you're a born-again, spirit-filled Christian, you can trust the Holy Spirit's going to reveal His truth to you through the Word. I think the problem is, is that if we really look inside ourselves, a lot of us trust the wisdom of other men over the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Right? Like That's, been, Holy... a, that's been a, yeah, that's been a theme, I think, for sure. And and I, I checked that in my own life, because like, I love listening to other teachers and podcasts and stuff like that. But then almost every time I just say a prayer, Lord, reveal to me through the Holy Spirit what you want to teach me to this. And I open up the Bible, I read it, and it's just like, what? I was ne- I never put that together like all the time. Because it's just yeah. like the, the Word of God is truly sharper than any double-edged sword. And like, what what, is, what does it say is like it's sharp enough, like, with the division of bone and marrow or the of the spirit and the soul like spirit and the soul yeah like it's crazy how how this word of god can literally transform your life with two verses yeah absolutely. And, like, and you never know god reveals different things to different people at different times about his word mm-hmm. and all of it lines up with the whole council of scripture i don't even know how he does it but it's amazing and so i just want to encourage anybody listening to this open up this book for goodness sake it's going to radically transform your life and don't read it through the lens of what you've already been heard or doctrines of men or teachings of anything else read the bible for what it says and trust that god through his providence and through his holy spirit will reveal truth to you yeah like yeah amen amen i agree 100 that's so good I mean, that's the thing, right? Like we are, uh, you know, the, the church by and large is large is, is illiterate. Like we don't know very much about the book that we claim to believe in. Right. Right. And that's, man, that should be a wake up call for everybody. Um, and you know, the pastors, uh, in the pulpits, they don't, they don't always have time. They don't have time to like preach and teach everything we have personal responsibility to pick up the word so so that we show up at the gatherings 
and uh, we are able to uh, and equipped to edify and build up one another. We need to do our homework, right? Mm-hmm. I think I think it's not like, oh, I'm going to go to church on Sunday and learn about God. No, you learned about God all week, and then you go to church and you worship, and then you build up other people, and you kind of get the dust shaken off, and then you get ready for the week again. I mean. I don't know. I think that people just need to prioritize a little bit. And it's, you know, the devil's so good at distracting us. He's so good. And I'm not, I'm not immune to that. Right. Like I've had lots of times where I'm like, Oh, I'm still scrolling on Instagram. There's my Bible over there. I need to set the phone down and pick up the book. Like I'm guilty of that too. I think everybody can be. Um, And we just need to really fight hard in our spirit and in our flesh um, to say, let's get some of that word in us. Right. My spirit is starving right? And my my Instagram eyes are like obese, <laughs> right? And that's just an example. It could be whatever, YouTube, uh, whatever, you're, you know, pick your poison. But um, I think what you're saying is is so true. Pick up the book. I say it's huge. It's huge importance. Yeah. All right, All right buddy. Yeah. Well, I got to go coach a basketball game. So good luck to you, man. Well, I'm not playing. <laughs> well i know but sometimes the hardest, sometimes the hardest responsibility falls on the coach well sometimes i feel nice. like i'm more sometimes i feel like i'm working harder than anybody <laughs> <laughs> up and down screaming pointing bugs out you know what i mean play some defense all that kind of good stuff but it's all good it's gonna be good right, but um i got a new nickname for you by the way because oh, I call no. you brother a couple, I call you brother a couple times, right? Because you're my brother in Christ, but you're my son. So you're now gonna be known as Broson. Broson, <laughs> what's up, Broson? <laughs> oh yeah, Broson. Oh no. All right, all right, bye. Love you, man. I'll catch love you on the dad. next one. Yep. All right. God bless to all, all right. listening. Bye. All right.